Welcome to Woke and Confused, the podcast delving into the environmental dilemmas of our time. We're your hosts, Livy Drake and Jessica Farrow. We give you the lowdown to the breakdown, the cure to the chaos, the thumbbergs to the melting icebergs. We'll help you navigate your daily decisions so you can feel empowered to make positive change. This is where it's Attenborough. You won't regret it. <laughs> <laughs> We're back! Do you like our new jingle? Yeah. What do you think, guys? Let us know. Fantastic. Coming up in today's episode, we catch up on the last few months and share how leaning into our eco-grief has been a powerful fuel for making changes in our work and personal life. Hey, we're back! Hey, how's it going? Back in the studio, Woke and Confused, back for season two. Yay! Oh, it feels nice to be here. Yeah, missed your little face. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we've had a good few months on our summer holidays and just, uh, well, it's a bit longer since the summer holidays, but... Less less holidaying, more working. Yeah, lots of work, <laughs> but it's, it feels really good and we're really excited to be back here recording more episodes of Working Confused. Last time we spoke, you were just about to go off on your travels, Livy. You were talking about going bus bragging. Yeah. So, so how was it? Yeah, so I took my bike on the bus to the south of Hungary, which involved not just buses. So I took two big sort of international buses, uh, four trains across Hungary, two bike rides. And I left London at nine o'clock on the Sunday night. And I arrived at my mum's house in the south of Hungary at eight o'clock on the Tuesday. So is that 48 hours of travel? Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, wow. So, what? go on, what was it like? Um, it was an interesting adventure. Like, I basically framed it that this p- was part of my holiday and it's part of the experience. So I was just embracing it and not going like, oh, God, this is taking a long time or, oh, this is inconvenient. It was just like, this is an adventure. This is a challenge. So I arrived at the train station in Budapest and I said, hi, I'd like to book on this intercity train with my bike. And he laughed at me and said, no, 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 you can't take bikes on the intercity train. And I was like, oh, okay. And he said, there's no way you're getting to the destination you want to get to on a train. Oh, my God. What did you do? Because he said there's a bus replacement service in the middle. And I was like, oh, a challenge. So I kept on going back to but Could I do this? Could I do that? And he was like, and I said, well, look, I've got a bike. Couldn't I just cycle between the bit where there's a bus replacement service? Okay, go now, get on the next train. And it's not a bike, it's a package. And I was like, because <laughs> it was in a big bag. And I was like, okay, but it would be much easier as a bike because I could actually like wheel it. No, no, I'll take my package. And so I got on the train. And what I realised was he hadn't charged me for a bike. So in trying to make it okay that we'd had this awkward thing, he like didn't charge me for the Aww, bike. Oh, bless him. And then another train driver carried my package um, and tried to get it on the bus bus drivers said no and someone else helped me rebuild it so there was lots of uh, love along the way and uh, amusement at my ridiculous situation wow so they're just probably not used to seeing people turning up with bikes or packages in the shape of a bike <laughs> badly uh, disguised packages yeah well there, so there is like a whole um, cycle route through hungary and they are supposed to encourage people and actually lots of hungarians have bikes so, but I think what the thing is, they don't want everyone with their bike on the intercities. Mm. So they've kind of, if you're on a fast train, it's a fast train and it's not for a bike. 
Okay, so so once you got to Hungary, you, you did a bit of cycling. You went around Serbia, is that right? Yeah, or? I went through Serbia and Croatia in a big circle. And again, like, the defining thing was the friendliness of strangers. And it's an amazing thing when you go on a bike ride, how many people want to help you. And people on the side of the road selling tomatoes, they give free tomatoes. And I met a lovely German girl along the way and we cycled together. And that was great, exchanging stories and... We were in a town just sort of having some food and people like bought us an ice cream Aww. and gave us chocolate. And these people, you know, they're not as well off as we are in, in this country, but they were just really wanted to be kind. And it was really heartwarming and a good reminder of like the kindness of strangers. Oh, people say that about cycle touring. That is the best yeah. way to kind of feel like you're really connecting with the communities that you're moving through. And people are always really impressed to see you cycling. It's really hardcore. Nice. So you're camping along the way as yeah, well? Yeah, bit of camping. Did one night of wild camping. Turned out, I thought it was quite wild. Then in the morning, I noticed how close to some houses I was. But oh, you really? know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very impressed. And would you do it again? Um, so yes, I would. Uh, maybe. So I, honest truth, I did get my bike couriered back because it was quite um, an ordeal. And I was trying to do some work as well. And... Yes, I would. I'd probably try and go somewhere else. But I'm like Flixbus, you can put a bike in a package on there. It's all possible. Uh, but you just have to think differently about traveling. OK, nice. And you didn't fly, which is fantastic. Yes. Actually, speaking of cycle touring, if Livy's trips inspired you, I just found out that my friend Hermione at Do Nation... Hi, Hermione, if you're listening. She has decided to put together a group of people who want to cycle to COP26. That's the Climate Change Conference in Glasgow next December, so December 2020. And they're assembling expressions of interest at the moment for anyone who wants to cycle from London or other parts of the country to Glasgow in December. Uh, so um it sounds really fun because there'll be i think there's a lot of interest so far i've put my name down you know it's not any hard and fast commitment yet but i think it would be a really cool thing to do to cycle and on the way up talk to people about climate change and hopefully more people can join us along the route and then arrive at the climate change conference in a completely zero carbon way cycling through scotland in december but you know maybe we're mad but it's kind of a cool idea <laughs> anything like that that also if you're with loads of people it'll be great because that's what i really like is when you're with other people you feel this great sense of camaraderie definitely cycling in a big group so mm. if anyone's interested in that i'll put a link in the show notes and hopefully you can join us so what have you been up to jess well, well, it's been a... Where do we start? Yeah, where do we start? It's been a quite amazing and packed few months. I had a great summer. I uh, went to loads of festivals and trips around in the van, which was lovely. And then in September, the beginning of September, I went on this course. It was like a retreat by um, some friends of mine who run an organisation called Change in Nature. And it's all about getting people out into nature to have transformative experiences around sustainability. Mm. And... It was really interesting. Well, it wasn't just interesting. I'd say it was it was uh, almost, I'd say it was life-changing that I was really lucky to be introduced in that workshop to the work of Joanna Macy, which you might have heard of, which is the work that reconnects, which is all about taking people through what she calls a spiral of experiences, essentially. And it has four stages. And the first stage is gratitude. So that's that's when we think about all the things about in the world that we are grateful for. So nature and our communities and that kind of thing. And we honor that and talk about that. And then the next bit is about honoring the pain for the world. So it's all about 
all the things we experienced around eco-anxiety and eco-grief. And definitely when I went into that workshop, I was feeling in quite a, a, a point of where I was thinking a lot about climate change and eco-anxiety. And I was getting quite overwhelmed by those feelings. So we spent a lot of time honouring our pain and thinking about really, really staring into the face of, of the kinds of things that we fear that we're going to lose and it was an incredibly powerful experience. I remember climbing up a, I climbed a tree for the first time in a long time. I climbed up into an oak tree and lay in its branches and just kind of cried actually, and just thought about the world and and all of the th all of the things that I worried about losing, which was a very powerful experience. But then what was really amazing is after that they they took us on a journey where we thought about everything with with fresh eyes and we we considered these three stories of the world and the current world that we are in, which is business as usual and all the implications of business as usual if we carry on as normal and what would happen. Then we thought about the great unraveling, which is I think a lot of the story that I've been living in about the climate chaos and how the mm. society's gonna collapse. And you know, after reading Jen Bendel's paper and all of that, it's just, you know, you can get quite overwhelmed with these negative ideas of what, what the future's gonna be like. And then the third story was the great turning and the great turning was this amazing idea of what if we pull together the kinds of things that we can do to transform our societies and make them so much better in the future and 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 how in creating a low carbon society it's going to be beneficial for us on so many levels so thinking about those three stories and which ones we lived in and which ones we operated in was really helpful for me and understanding like, you can move between these three stories and you don't mm. always have to be stuck in one, but there are those three options for how you tell yourself the narrative. And then the final thing was going forth and kind of setting intentions for going forward. And so this experience was was incredible. And, and it kind of led me afterwards on the journey to thinking about how I was showing up in the world and the kinds of things that I was doing and working on, given that I understand the nature of the climate emergency and the ecological emergency and what a fragile situation we're in but then also the cognitive dissonance with with some of the things that I was still doing and it led me to have a rethink about everything in my personal life my work life and readjusting my my mission in those areas so I'm just gonna say for anyone who doesn't know cognitive dissonance is when your beliefs and your actions are in conflict and cognitive dissonance is actually a very experiential thing like your it actually hurts in your brain and I've experienced it a lot in think work that I've done knowing that I'm doing something and it doesn't sit well with my beliefs and it's it hurts doesn't it yeah. you feel uncomfortable yeah and I think I was used to that discomfort because I worked in sustainability for such a long time so I was always thinking about climate change but I wasn't really really thinking about it I hadn't really honored the grief I'd tried to avoid it and I think there's something so powerful about leaning into that grief and then using it as a fuel for going forward and being like, look, we know how bad it's going to be, but we, it doesn't have to be like that. And there's another option. Have you come across the Joanna Macy work? So I went to a workshop by someone called Caroline Hickman and she did something similar uh, and we talked about similar things, but she talked about the spiral, but she also talked about this idea that lots of people in the world have a vision of how things are going to be. And so there's the vision that the state's going to look after us and it's all going to be okay. And then the other one is like someone's going to save us, like a magical thing like aliens. There's, there's a whole alien movement. And I guess that's where, as humans, we're wired. When we don't understand stuff, religions come about because we look for someone else to make sense of it all. And then the other one is climate chaos and the, that sort of the catastrophe. And what she was also saying was, with the grief thing, is that it's okay to go into the grief and then come back out of it and use it to fuel yourself. And for me, that was a real eye-opener and a real like, ah, 
okay because I've been you know crying at the snow in November and feeling all this grief and then going into a workshop and being this really positive person for people and then coming out of it going like am I a fraud because I'm you know I'm existing in these different worlds where part of me is falling apart and I'm heartbroken and all this stuff and then I present myself as this really positive person and can you be these two things and it's like yes this is exactly it we use this as a fuel to be that change and it's okay to feel it and it's really important to feel it if we turn off from it then it's going to consume us and we must feel our emotions so for me it was an amazing experience to have this workshop yeah and so, so what do you think that's meant for you going forward I think so what it's meant for me is that I am now honoring my eco guilt and my eco anxiety but then also not feeling guilty when I don't feel it because you know sometimes you're like oh god I should be feeling you know sometimes I'm like oh I'm having a great week this week I'm really on you know great space and it's like oh but you know there's awful things happening in the world how could I even be happy and it's like actually it's okay to be all of those things mm, it's true I think weirdly for me you know actually since since um going through this process and really going into the depths of my despair I've felt happier than I've ever felt mm. it's weird I feel like my life's going in a really good direction and I think it's partly due to feeling really aligned with my purpose one of the things that I'd been getting involved with more is Extinction Rebellion and activism and that experience in September really just jolted me to step up slightly in my mm. in my commitment to that movement and I know a lot's happened since we recorded that episode in our last season episode two on extinction rebellion i've been getting more involved and in october there was the international rebellion in london and i went down for a week and was there and i camped and it was a crazy experience it was difficult it was intense it was exhilarating it was devastating it was challenging yeah there's you so got many arrested. I did. I got arrested. Yeah, I decided um, that I was arrestable. So lots of people say, you know, I couldn't get arrested because I've got responsibilities. And other people say, well, actually, you shouldn't take these things on lightly. So how do you answer those questions? Because it's a big, a big deal. And it's a big thing. So, yeah, I suppose a lot of people that are involved with the Extinction Rebellion aren't arrestable. And when when we were planning for the October Rebellion, we were in our affinity groups and people were saying, OK, are you arrestable? Are you not arrestable? And lots of people were like, you know, I'm not arrestable. And my initial response was, I'm not arrestable. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not arrestable. That's not me. Um, and then people were going around and saying, oh, I'm, I'm not arrestable because I've got kids that I've got to look after. And someone's like, oh, I'm not arrestable because I'm a teacher and I work with kids and I need to do DBS I'm not arrestable because I work in a hospital and I need to, you know, it's, if I have anything on my record. And some people were just arrestable because they didn't feel like they wanted to do that. And that's, you know, everyone, it's a completely personal choice. But what I realized is that when I actually was like, well, why am I not arrestable? I, I, I couldn't really answer that because I'd already identified after this workshop that I had to act in line with the fact that the climate emergency was happening the IPCC report told us we have 12 years to make unprecedented and far-reaching and radical changes to our society to be able to stay within 1.5 degrees, which scientists agree is essential to avoid the worst effects of climate change. I was aware of that and I knew that I needed to act and I needed to do something unprecedented and new. I'm self-employed, so I don't need to worry about things like checking my criminal record for jobs. I don't have kids currently. I work in sustainability, so if anyone's aware of what needs to happen, I am. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm aware of these issues. 
And yeah, a lot of the people that I'd seen around me who were arrestable were, were in similar situations. And I just thought, well, actually, maybe that's something that I, I could do. I didn't decide until I was down there. I said, um, I'm, I'm going to do all my research into what it would mean for me and clue up on my legal rights and all that kind of stuff. So I'm prepared, but I'll probably only decide when I'm there whether or not it feels like the right time to be arrested. And I decided uh, when I was sitting in Trafalgar Square that I, I was. And you've written a blog about it if people want to I have. find out more. I'll put a link in the show notes. One of the things about that period was obviously it was very tainted by the people jumping on the train and the altercation with some commuters. How is Extinction Rebellion responding to that sort of if you're in an affinity group? Because it must be very challenging. It seems like the only thing that a lot of people kind of members of the public can remember from from that whole two weeks in October was that really um, unfortunate incident in Canning Town on the train where a few people glued themselves to a train in London Underground. Well, it was an overground train, actually. In Canning Town, the angry commuters pulled them off and basically beat them up. And then there were some viral videos that went out of that and um, a lot of people had opinions on that. Well, incredible scenes this morning on the Jubilee Line. It was the target of Extinction Rebellion, their second week of their protest about this climate emergency. They decided to target the Tube and the DLR. Uh, incredible scenes as Extinction Rebellion protesters got on top of the trains and the commuters, not happy that their morning commute was being uh, disturbed in this way, started dragging them off the trains. Now, one man being dragged to the ground, some sort of scuffle ensues. We're not sure whether he was beaten on the ground or not, but Transport for London staff, we understand, got involved at that point to try and separate people. Uh, chaos on the platform there, and police say that they're now trying to curtail these issues at Canning Town, and you can see a strong police presence here uh, at this Jubilee State Line station as well. Now, we understand those uh, Extinction Rebellion protesters had signs saying business as usual is, is effectively going to end in catastrophe. Uh, there are many, many critics of this action this morning. Uh, people online suggesting that targeting the tube, one of the cleanest forms of mass transport, was an own goal for Extinction Rebellion. We're still trying to get hold of them to find out exactly why this particular mode of transport was targeted, but it has ended in chaos this morning as commuters took things into their own hands, upset by more than a week of delays on their morning commute, many of them trying to get to places like Westminster Tube Station here, and you can see the anger in the faces of those people on the platform at Canning Town. So, yeah, I was quite upset by that action. I didn't support it. I, I thought it was a bit of an own goal for Extinction Rebellion, especially after all the amazing work that had gone on in the, in the weeks before that. And a lot of the amazing actions and creative actions that have been planned didn't get the airtime that um, they should have. You know, there was one action which was lovely. It was basically a load of pot potted trees, like small tree saplings, were put in Parliament Square, one for each MP with their names on it, like a little label on it. And they all came down and the MPs came down. A lot of them came down and collected their tree. I didn't see that in the news. No. I mean, I saw it on social media, but that was that was an amazing action. Mm. And it was a really cool one, which which actually did get quite a lot of profile. But that was um, people outside of BlackRock Investment Bank, and they were all dressed up in suits and they were pretending to eat money. And it was kind of making the point that yeah, we can't eat money. And and but they were all. It was all very theatrical, and it mm. was really good and really fun, and it made a really good point. So I think so, it, it is a shame that it does get. It reduced down to a couple of people who acted against the the 
the feelings of most of the movement. But what has been amazing about Extinction Rebellion is that the capacity for the people in the movement to take on board that that feedback and that backlash and all of the negative comments and actually really, really use it to spark some very, very challenging and difficult conversations within the movement about how we move forward. And what has been amazing is just to see like in our, my local meeting a few weeks ago, we sat down and discussed an article that basically deconstructs a lot of the social change theory that Extinction Rebellion is based on, which is based on movements from the past, like the civil rights movement and the suffragettes and all that. And basically it said that the reason why Extinction Rebellion is different is because the people that are actually being affected by these, the current issues are the ones that are uprising, whereas at the moment, because it's this kind of white middle class movement mm. rising up on behalf of, other, other people, people like other yeah. people in the global south who are already affected or future generations who are not being affected it's it's not having the same impact or it's not kind of tugging on people's heartstrings in the same way as maybe even the youth uh, climate strikes are yeah so i th i think uh, that was an amazing article it's a challenging read but but extinction Rebellion is very very keen to to learn and understand going forward and i think we can't forget that the movement is only just a year old mm. and um, what it's managed to do in that time is is absolutely remarkable. And yeah, it's not a perfect movement, but <laughs> I don't think many things are in their first year. But also in any movement, you've got extremes. You know, it's the same with anything. You're not going to have agreement across everybody and people don't think in the same way. And the environmental movement is very divided and people love to pick holes and find the fault. And I hear so many people saying like, oh, well, I do think Extinction Rebellion are doing a good thing. But I mean, they're, they're doing a good thing of alienating a lot of people. I know. And I think it's a lot easier, isn't it, for someone to stand on the sidelines and kind mm. of like criticise the movement rather than trying to get involved and change it. Because um, because that's what needs to be done. And I do find it I have to admit, I do find it quite frustrating when a lot of people, a lot of people like colleagues in sustainability world, you know, people who work in this in, in their businesses and consultancies, a lot of them will say, well, I've just, I don't really think Extinction Rebellion is that good because it's it's got all these issues. But it's kind of like, but you're the kind of people that need to be bringing your expertise and bringing your knowledge to how we can make that movement better. Because mm. it, at the moment, is kind of the best thing we've got. And it's, it's probably going to go through a huge metamorphosis in the coming years in terms of like what's needed. Because I think it's got people's attention now. People know that it's there. And maybe maybe the arrests aren't the thing going forward that will be the tactic that's the most prevalent. Maybe there'll be new actions that are more um, effective in, in various ways, but who, who knows? But the point is, let's all build it together and let's, let's think about how we can do that best rather than just criticizing it. So I just mm. say that anyone who has thought about getting involved in activism, for me, it's been such an amazing way to to kind of close that gap between my intention and my action and like really focus. It's also been an amazing way to meet very passionate and dedicated people who are, who are on the front line of climate activism, but in a way that I would never have known that the, you know, people talk about the lack of diversity in the movement. It's, it's true that, 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 that is an issue, but I would say that it's introduced me to people from all different walks of life that I, don't necessarily meet on a day-to-day -day basis mm. there's a huge range in ages you know I, i'm in groups with people who are in their 50s 60s there's there's young teenagers 
there's people from all different kind of backgrounds and professions and students and it's, it's just I find it really really uh encouraging to be around these people it's really inspiring it's interesting because I was deciding for the election what I wanted to do and it was like do I get involved in some extinction rebellion election things or do I volunteer with the green party and because I've haven't had any time recently to see what's been going on um, and I've just sort of you know experienced the negativity that's been directed at Extinction Rebellion that I actually decided that I was going to volunteer with the Green Party this weekend and try and do some like canvassing and things because I thought I don't want to go and do something and have the backlash of something that I wasn't even involved with so it's, it's good to hear your point of view and it's kind of now making me feel like actually I'm going to give Extinction Rebellion another chance and go along to a meeting and see how things have changed from when I last went earlier on in the year. Yeah, I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that because I know you were at the April rebellion. Mm. I wasn't at that one, but I do think, yeah, definitely October was um, a really challenging and difficult time for a lot of people. And but it was also, an, you know, amazing things happened. And it was just amazing to come together with people from all over the country. And I remember there was a man, I was there and there was a man and lots of people locked onto these different structures and we were outside Westminster Abbey and uh, this old guy and I, I, I went up to him, he was locked on and I said, is there anything I can get you? Do you, do you want anything? Do you want uh, water or some food? I could bring you something. And he looked at me and he said, I'm absolutely perfect. It's an absolute privilege to be here. And I was like, that's wonderful. Mm. And I just felt I could just see in his eyes that he felt like he was doing the thing that he felt that he could do in his power at that mm. moment. And I, I found it really moving. I just thought it was really amazing to see a lot of older people actually just desperately trying to get arrested because they, <laughs> they've got nothing to lose. They, they got, yeah, I think a lot of people, if they're retired and they've got grandkids and stuff, they just, mm. they just really want to do something. And they were like, you know, I just want my grandkids to be proud of me. I, I fa you know, I feel like those are the kind of stories that get a bit unreported or forgotten mm. about. Everyone's like, oh, uncorruptive crusties or whatever. It was quite funny because it was like everyone by the end, like loads of people just had like signs saying like, I'm an un uncorruptive crusty. But then they also were printing like their job titles on to like their t-shirts mm. and stuff. So people would be like scientist slash uncorruptive crusty or like head teacher slash uncorruptive crusty or, you know, it was it was really it was really cool. And I think the thing about any of anything is that if you have got a power or you've got an opportunity to do something and you feel that you can or you feel moved, whatever it is, whatever you get involved with, it is it matters and it does make a difference and it will make a difference for you in terms of your own mental well-being. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think a lot of people are sitting there kind of worried by indecision of like, oh, I feel like I need to do something, but what can I do? Oh, I'll buy a bamboo toothbrush. And it's mm. like, that's... <laughs> Fine, do that, sure. But also, like, we need to be thinking bigger than this. We need to be doing brave and unprecedented things. Mm. You know, our lives are going to change so much in the next 10 years. Bristol, the city where we live, has, has got a target to become carbon neutral by 2030. Our lives are going to change beyond recognition. Uh, the way we get around, the way we heat our homes. We've got big change coming. And I think the more we can actually just start that process mm. of realising that we can't just carry on, you know and that could involve activism that could involve working uh changing the kind of work you do or just I engaging with the your communities it's going to look different for everyone i'm not saying that everyone should join extinction rebellion and get arrested that's absolutely not what i'm saying i'm just saying everyone needs to kind of have that honest conversation with themselves and say the climate emergency is happening it's real and how how should i be responding as mm. a person in my personal capacity and also 
in my work and in my workplace. So that would be my challenge to, to anyone listening or anyone I talk to. And I'm really excited to be starting these conversations. I wasn't able to be at those things because I was doing something um, a bit different um, and I sort of have done something brave. I've stepped into a whole new area which I knew nothing about, which was uh, writing and filming an online course. And it kind of took over my life. Yeah, I've just literally been doing that, eating and breathing online videos. And for me, the reason I felt called to do it is because I do lots of talks to people in, and certain people come along and I thought, Lots of people want to make a difference and they want to make a change. And people want to make a difference in their workplace because they do lots of things at home and then they go to work and they feel a bit despairing. And there's so many green teams that have been set up in the last year. So I've created this course called Tackling Single-Use Plastics in the Workplace. And the idea is to inspire people to be able to make change and give them the tools to do that. Because I get calls and I get emails and LinkedIn requests all the time and people say, what do I do? How do I do what you're doing? How do I change? How do I make change? And it's like, well, not everyone needs to become a sustainability consultant, but you could make a difference in your workplace and you could start those conversations. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Well, I have to say uh, it's come along at a perfect time for me because as part of my consulting work, I'm currently helping a business to implement a sustainability strategy, including removing single-use plastics from their workplace by 2025. So I've been enjoying your online course, Livy. I think it's great. Uh, there's lots of great videos of Livy explaining all of the waste hierarchy and all these different concepts and, and teaching you how to do an audit, a plastics audit of the workplace, theories about behaviour change. And I, I found it super useful and the, the resources are really helpful, like templates and sample policies. And it's just exactly what I need and I know that it's, it would be quite easy for someone who's in their own workplace it'd be quite easy for someone to, to kind of do themselves as well mm. that's the idea so I think what I want to inspire is people to be entrepreneurs so yeah. that they can make change in their workplace and then for me also part of doing this is really rethinking you know I think the whole world of work needs to be rethought you know the fact that people commute in every day and sit in cars and go into an office and then commute back again and they only get to have two weeks of the, the year off for holidays and they're rushing to get on their holiday and they have to go on an aeroplane like for me this is fundamentally flawed and if we need to change the way that the world operates then for me what that looks like is being able to work remotely and work in different places, being able to spend time in other cities or in other countries and be able to go there in a slow way and my work to be able to reflect that. So part of this whole process for me is about trying to transform the way that I work and the way that I operate in the world. So it's I've been doing a different kind of transformation. Oh, it sounds it sounds it sounds really valuable and it's really cool that you're using that fire and passion to to create tools for other people to create change because mm. that is what we need we need to kind of amplify that effect so yeah no thanks for doing the course because it's it's great and i recommend anyone who's who's trying to do similar things in their own workplace check out livy's course link in the show notes link in the show notes and it reminds me a bit as well of what i've i've also been doing with my work which is um as part of that change in nature thing and doing the spiral and the work that reconnects so in the personal life, it was the activism, but in my own work life as a, you know, I am a, I am a sustainability consultant. So I'm helping businesses to implement sustainability strategies. And I kind of changed my mission statement of the business of now my new mission statement in my work is to help businesses respond to the climate crisis. 
So stepping up to this level of knowing around the challenge ahead. And it's been just that little turn uh, has just helped me to frame the work that I do in a lot more progressive way. I kind of mm. feel like that I'm always challenging myself as to how can I turn up the radical dial? If I'm, if I'm consulting businesses and helping them to make plans to be more sustainable, how can I not keep them in business as usual? How can I just just turn up the radical dial and say, well, how about this? You know, how about we do this? How about we go further with this target? How about we think bigger? And that's been amazing because actually it's helped people to visualize or vision the future and much more in that great turning mm. story, which is like, how can we help to make this world happen? Ed Gillespie, he's one of the co-founders of Futera and he's now working independently, but he talks him about instead of being a consultant, he's an insultant. <laughs> I quite like that because it's kind of saying those hard truths. And mm. I've definitely sent a few emails or said things in meetings. that I've kind of had my heart in my mouth where I've been like, that's not good enough. We need to do more. And it feels a bit edgy, but mm. I'm like, but I need to be that person. And I certainly have started doing that as well. So I've been doing some work with the events industry and I get um, emails saying, what type of pen do you think we should buy? You know, well, there's a recycled plastic one. There's one made out of something, bamboo. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like... Um, do we need the pen? Can we go back to basics, please? Yeah. I'm going to be a bit of a mirror here. You're bringing me in as a sustainability consultant. So I'm going to say, maybe not give you the answers that you want. And I actually feel comfortable with that now. And I kind of in a point like, if they don't like it, then I actually don't want to work with them because I want to work with people who really want to make change because we need radical change. And I don't want to talk about, you know, I used to work with the festival industry and we'd have these conversations about reusable cups and about, well, maybe next year. And I don't want to talk about next year for a reusable cup. Yeah. We need to go beyond that. We need to be braver. It's an emergency. Let's yeah, do it's so an quicker. emergency. Yeah. It sounds like we're both on a really similar path. What's amazing is surrounding ourselves with people who are on that on mm. that journey. So I really urge you to our listeners, if you if you resonate with some of the stuff we're saying, is find the people in your community, whether it's in your workplace or in your local community. Maybe you want to start going to, to meetings of your local groups of Extinction Rebellion or or activists or political groups maybe even setting up your own one you know there's there's so much that you you can do to connect with people who are on the same vibe as you really so there's a few things places that you can find that are sort of emerging now and one of them is climate cafes so there's where you can go and talk about your eco-anxiety and uh, express that with people. I think there's some, yeah, Extinction Rebellion have also set up a few Extinction Cafes in certain towns. I think there's more cropping up to do exactly that. And Extinction Rebellion have got like, regeneration yeah. events so you can go back into nature and reconnect. Yeah, I highly recommend that. Regenerative culture is a really cool aspect of Extinction Rebellion, which is all about living in the way that we want to see the world being more so that's being more connected that's being more in touch with nature that's taking time to reflect and rest and regenerate as well as as being you know it's not the activism isn't, isn't about kind of gluing yourself to things all the time and being in this constant state of action it's also taking time to reflect and renew and and think about the next thing and i've really noticed that when i honor those patterns in life it's really helpful for me mm. And then also, if you are thinking about setting up a green team in your workplace, we'll put a link to, I've got a 20 tips for greening your office. So really practical things that you can do. And again, just creating those, that group of people around you, you know, then other people go, oh, actually other people do care. So stepping up and, you know, just saying that you care really can help other people. Totally, totally agree. 
While we're on that of like resources and things, um, how about some good books that people could maybe buy for presents or just something to read? Yeah, totally. So I went recently to the book launch of our friend Natalie Fee's book, which is called How to Save the World for Free. It's a great book. It's very on the vibe of Woke and Confused. It's, it's all lots of little things that you can do in your life that help to live more sustainably. It's all things from like how to save the world when you have sex, how to save the world when you're banking, how to save the world when you're at work. So it's all these different and amusing and funny things that you can do that are really simple and often don't cost anything. And it's it's really nicely written. So yeah, nice one, Natalie. So that book we recommend. And then for uh, children, I'm going to do a big shout out to my friend Michelle Kassar. And she's got a book called Seb and Polly Planet. And that's all about how a young girl went on a journey to address plastics. And that is a great sort of entry for young children. So I'm going to shout that one out. And then I'm going to come in again with another one. So another friend, um, Sarah Poppy Jackson, she's just written a book called Change the System, which is highlighting all the issues with the way that we use water. And system is spelled C-I-S-T-E-R-N, as in the toilet. Change the system. Very yeah. good. Very good. I just tried to Google that before, though, and what I got was a load of plumbing YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's just the book's in a crowdfunding phase, so okay. hopefully um, people will be able to find it after that. But did you know that we're using all this all this fresh water to flush down the toilet yeah it is actually it is actually crazy from studying permaculture and learning about the the wonders of compost loos um mm. and just how that's just an amazing way to to deal with waste in a much more environmentally friendly and sensible way it does it does seem completely crazy that we flush beautiful lovely quality drinking water down our toilets every day Obviously, this is coming to the end of the year, so now we're going to be looking forward to 2020 and thinking what people's New Year's resolutions could be made. So, Jess, what's your thoughts on that? Well, um, you may remember in episode three last season, we did a we did an episode on flying, which was actually one of my favourite episodes. Mm -hmm. um, and we spoke to the lovely Anna Jones, who talked all about the Flight Free 2020 pledge. Yeah. And I have decided to take that pledge so i've i've taken that pledge i've signed up and i'm not going to be flying at all in 2020 i'm going to do the same as well and i think also it's a great thing now like with a lot of my work people are like oh i'm assuming you're getting the train we'll sort out the train for you and it's like how quickly this dialogue has moved on and people aren't assuming that you're going to be flying somewhere yeah it's really cool um so yeah you can check that out we'll put a link again in the show notes what is what is the brave and wild thing that you are going to do in 2020 that's going to be helping you live more in line with your values and the idea that we are in a climate and ecological crisis and stuff needs to change. So have a think about that. I think that's a good point to say. Um, great to be back yeah. and more episodes to come. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks, Olivia. And yeah, I've really enjoyed this chat. It's a bit different to our normal format. Okay, so before we go, wait, what? what is this? It's like a weird little door. Oh, yes. Jess, welcome to the virtual door to our online shop. Wait, we've got an online shop? Oh yeah, did I not tell you? So if you really need some new clothes, only if you really need them, and you really needed a new t-shirt, you really needed to buy someone a gift, we have got an offering. Oh really? Go on, tell me more. These are hoodies, t-shirts and vests that say Woke and Confused. Oh wow, we've got merch. We have got merch. 
And the great thing about the merch is we don't actually have any merch. It's virtual, so it only gets made if someone actually wants it. So we haven't made loads of stuff that is just going to sit around in the corner of our studio. It's only if there's a demand for it. Okay, so if someone wants one of these t-shirts, what if do they, they really, really, really okay, want sorry. it? Not just want, need. need. Yes. Okay. If they really, and really need it. Are they like organic cotton? Oh yeah. So these are made by a great company called Rapanui, and they've got a shop called Tea Mill. So we've set up our own Tea Mill shop, and they are fair trade. Their factories are run on renewable energy, and they work with farmers. They're just like the best of the best in terms of uh, t-shirt production. So we will put a link in the show notes. Yeah, link in the show notes and we'll share some pictures on uh, Insta. Nice. Okay, so if you need a t-shirt, head there. Only if you really need it. (laughs) 